Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Milagro Cocktail Webinar. I'm your host, Fotis Stamos, and with me, my co-hosts, Ari Kalos and Catherine Copeland. Hello, everyone. This has been a hello. 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 <laughs> this has been a well-anticipated segment for us. Tequila has been explosive over the last handful of years, and as it's made its way from sassy cocktail bars to fine dining restaurants, our special guest, Jaime Salas, Milagro's national brand ambassador, will give us the history and scoop on tequila while demonstrating two delicious cocktail recipes. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome our special guest, Jaime Salas. Welcome to our show. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Hey, everybody out there in, um, what is it? The intersphere, the internet. <laughs> the interwebs. Um, <laughs> the interweb, showing my age here. Uh, my name is Jaime Salas, as mentioned. I gladly wear the Milagro tequila shirt. I've been doing this for about 10 years. I've been working in this industry for just over 20. I am excited to share anything and everything that I know and demystify tequila as much as possible. So let's let's begin there. Tequila is a very varied and a, and a very and a very um, entrenched Mexican distillate that's come about to uh it's, it's come to be known as we know it today throughout the centuries so i'd be remiss if i didn't start with some anecdotal historical cool stuff that most of us latch on to especially if you're if you're a history buff right so let's go back to pre-hispanic mexico right before mexico was the mexico we know today uh back to the aztecs back to the mayans and talk about the birthplace of tequila if you know tequila it's part it's made from the agave plant specifically the blue agave plant however endemic to mexico there's over 150 to 200 varietals of agave plants albeit we can't precisely tell you how many because of the way the genius breaks apart few people know this but a tequila or an agave plant right what tequila is made from or mezcal is made from which is the big category right tequila is a type of mezcal but not a mezcal is tequila and uh, we can talk a little bit about that later. But the idea is that it, it's closer related to the lily plant, even to the asparagus, than it is to the aloe plant. Although most of you probably think, ah, an agave plant looks a little bit like an aloe, right? Mm -hmm. It's, in fact, closer related to an asparagus, just to give you an idea. This is a beautiful, noble, highly respected plant, highly coveted by the Aztecs, right? The Native Americans, if you will, right, of, of that part of, of the Americas. And essentially what happened was you take this plant, you scour and you break away the leaves and you, you scratch the inside. You essentially hurt the plant, damage the plant, and the plant will start to secrete this beautiful milky substance. This milky substance is called pulque in present day Mexico. But basically back then it was called okli and uh, uh, pulque. And basically those two terms meant, meant fermented, right? Or, 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 or fermented juice, if you will, stemming from this plant. It would take that, and that is what would be used in religious Aztec rituals, right? Um, think of, you know, uh, hierarchy back in those days. The average commoner, you know, Aztec could not drink this stuff. We're talking about 3 to 4%, up to 5% alcohol by volume, right? Think of a fermented agave wine, right? After three or four days, it would ferment, and this is what they would drink. And there was this, there was this perception that literally, if you know anything about Aztecs, you know they believed in these creatures, these gods, these mystical creatures that represented everything from the soil, the earth, the sky, right? The, 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 the winged serpent, all these things. And that's why they constructed 
the pyramids the way they did. It was a way to ascend. It was a way to get closer to the gods. So what they would do is they take this this agave nectar and they would drink it and they would get inebriated. However, they would interpret that as getting closer to the gods. There's a, there's an old folklore in Mexico and pre-Hispanic Mexico called Cuatrocientos Conejos, 400 rabbits. And it's about 400 rabbits that suckled at the teat of Maya Well, which in their culture is kind of like mother nature, right? She's, she oversees all living things. She's particularly associated to the agave plant because the agave plant was so crucial to their livelihood. Every bit of the agave plant was used. The leaves for thatching roofs, the, the, the pointy needles at the, at the tips, uh, to, to thread things together, used to cook all kinds of things, right? They used it for fire. Uh, they used it, uh, they would get the mulch and they would bake it and use it and eat it as well. So there's all, and of course they would drink it, right? So there were all these uses for it and it was highly, highly coveted. So they would give this, this juice to only the priest, the high priest and the emperor, of course. And the idea was every, uh, every rabbit suckling on the teat of my well represented one level of inebriation. Uh, most of us here probably can can relate to three or four levels of inebriation, right? You start to drink, you feel good, you start to talk more, you start to become more convivial, and perhaps if you drink too much, you might have a headache the next day, right? But they believe that there were 400 stages of drunkenness, and that with each elevation, you got closer and you ascended closer to God. So now keep in mind, this is what they were drinking. This is the first introduction of anything from the agave plant to the native people. Then... Uh, in the 16th century, right, they had the, the Spanish come over, they come over with their brandy, they come over with, with, their, with their cooked brandy, and they start to notice that these guys are both eating, cooking the plant, eating it, and of course, fermenting the juice and drinking it. And so they would describe this thing as uh, a sweet nectar coming, from, you know, the, the Asics would say would come from the gods, and they would notice all of this ritual going on. Well, we don't know for a fact, but we think to this day that that is where we intersect with the Spaniards and, for, and uh, distillation is brought to the Americas. Now, why we don't know for a fact is right now in Mexico, they pre-carbon dated, they, they now know that by carbon dating, they know that there have been distillates or distillation going on in Mexico prior to the arrival of the Spaniards, right? The Filipinos got there first as well. We don't know who quite to credit. It may very well be that they were distilling before even the, 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 the Philippine, uh, Filipinos got there. But the bottom line is we don't quite know. So you can imagine there's all that conversation going on. Nevertheless, tequila, this, this beautiful nectar from the agave plant uh, is still going on. It's still being fermented to this day in Mexico. But they started to cook the plant and they started to then uh, mash uh, and ferment and distill it, right? Pre so think of present-day mezcal. You cook in the oven and earth and under earth, you know, you cook the agaves under earth. You get as many agaves as you can together while the agave and you start to cook it, ferment it, distill it. And that was the beginning of mezcal. As time went on, as Mexico developed, this mezcal started to redefine itself and become tequila. And I'll explain, I'll explain what that means. Um, but before I do, Catherine, yes. do you know what a cognac is, technically what category of spirit it is? Sorry to put you on the spot, but I wanted to engage in. I well, I know it has to be made in cognac, France. Right, and that's that's like tequila. It has to be made in a specific part. Yeah. But tequila is part of the mezcal family. Do you remember what cognac is part of? It's a distillate coming from grapes. Oh, uh, grappa from grape. Close, what they go? How about brandy? It's brandy. a part. 
Brandy, exactly. You guys were both, so it's a brandy. Same premise. <laughs> Tequila is technically a mezcal. Back in those days, it was made like present current day mezcal is made. But as Mexico started to industrialize, Mexico started to evolve, as more and more people started to get money, become independent, you know, there's a lot of mestizaje going on, meaning blending of cultures. That's something that the Spanish brought to Mexico. You had, you know, Spaniards blending along with the natives. You started to have people in this hierarchy started to class system, essentially. And as people started to, to get mobily upward, uh, uh, they started to create their own distilleries. They started to ferment and create their own tequila. And they started to impart innovations. So what happens first? At this point, most of Mexico is making some sort of agave distillate. But the mid-Occidental part of Mexico, present-day Jalisco, the cradle of tequila, if you will, started to make their own type of agave. Sorry, mezcal, right? With the agave plant. And that's when they started to isolate the blue agave. That's when they started to cultivate the blue agave. If you're into corn, for example, corn is Mexico's lifeblood. You know, tortillas are made out of corn. Tamales are made out of corn. A lot of corn is used, right? Mexico took about 900 years. The Aztecs took 900 years to domesticate corn in the way that from, a, from a reed to what it is now, right? Well, they tried doing the same thing with the, with, with the agave plant. They started to domesticate it. That actually happened way, way before the Spanish. They were already planting these plants, starting to domesticate them. And so now, at, at this point, you know, 17th century, they're going, they're moving, they're distilling, they're fermenting, and things are starting to change. Agaves went from being cooked subterranean underground to being cooked steam-baked above ground, right? They started to get mashed up uh, using uh, automated millers. Um, and they started to impart column stills for distillation, not just pot stills. And all of this stuff started to cultivate and create what, what we now know is our denomination of origin and essentially uh, defines tequila the way that cognac is defined to Catherine's point that it has to come from the region in cognac and all these different nuances or armagnac if you will but they're still part of a brandies same thing happened with tequila right it started to come from a specific region made in a specific way utilizing one particular guided plant out of the 150 plus that exist and it started to become its own thing so mexico started to president in mexico started to recognize its own denomination of origin. A few anecdotes here to share with you guys. First distillate ever in the Americas, right? I'm talking North, South America, is in fact tequila or mezcal, right? Which tequila, you know, which, which tequila is a part of. Um, the first denomination of origin ever given was also in, in Mexico was given to the tequila. So there's a lot of great points that have happened. Now Mexico has a ton of denominations of origin, a ton of great things coming out of there, both in food and drink. But that was the first, right? So it really helped to establish Mexico as this producer of distillate spirits, very unique to the world. I mean, here is a distillate that's made out of a, a succulent, essentially, right? And has a lot of great history entrenched in it. So, I, you know, we're running out of time in that regard, but I'll tell you, you know, things like, um, you know, Mexico, like the rest of the world, had its ups and downs with the spirit. It is right now, as Spoti said, one of the most, you know, recognized spirits in the world. It is perhaps Mexico's most recognized export. It is highly regarded. You know, we've, we've now gotten there, right? It used to be that we looked at tequila and thought, eh, you know, it's gut rot. What is that? Not taking into account because of some of the brands that are representing, you know, the category, not taking into account that this is a, a skillfully crafted spirit through generations uh, that has earned the right to really, you know, evoke respect given that it's, it represents where it comes from. It's terroir driven like wine, like cognac. You know, it speaks to where it comes from. That salinity, that floral, that vegetal, that frutal, all those things come from where the agave plant is born and raised and cultivated. 
And then ultimately the plant itself, right? All these things converge to give you something very unique, which is why it has a denomination of origin. There are currently five states that are allowed to grow, cultivate, and produce mezcal, I'm uh, sorry, tequila, and nine for mezcal, but there's really one prominent state in the region of, of tequila called Jalisco that does 98% of these brands, 90% of these of this distilleries, uh, and the entire state has the right to grow, cultivate, and produce, whereas some um, they would be considered counties in the other four states. So it really is um, a cradle, right, who's helped develop, and again, like cognac, helped to define this particular type of spirit. Um, Mexico went through dry periods. Mexico went through um, uh, uh, times where, you know, prohibition, where they weren't, you know, able to sell. Uh, and so tequila has had a, a tough road getting to where it is today. But in the last 20, 30 years, it's done phenomenal things. Um, if you think of, for example, prohibition here, you'll notice back in Mexico, the tequila numbers spike, right? Because the Americans crossed over and drank at that point what they used to call, you know, Mexican whiskey. If you ever heard that term, that's where a lot of it was. Well, that's what a lot of it was referencing is that there was nothing here. They would go down, right, and they would get this Mexican moonshine or Mexican whiskey, depending on whether it was aged or not. And they were they, and they were first introduced to agave that way. The World Wars, all these things, the war with Mexico, all these things started to introduce Americans. And perhaps it's is is there's no um, there's no. Uh, it's not by chance, right, that Americans uh, consume the most tequila in the world. I think it wasn't until 20, 2015 or 2017, forgive me, I get my 2015 or 2017, that for the first time in the history of tequila, um, Mexico surpassed or, or got right up to the same quantity, uh, same amount of liters of tequila consumption that the United States did. This is not mine. This is the country that makes it, grows it, cultivates it, right, produces it. It was the first time ever that Mexicans drank as much tequila as Americans did, just to give you some, some anecdotes there as well. So we've come a long way, right, and it's highly appreciated, and, and we love it because we feel as though tequila is now getting its due in regards to just how much time and effort goes into growing and cultivating the planet itself, right, which takes about six to eight years to come to maturation. Um, and that's just that type of agave plant. That's not counting the other agave plants that are used for other type of mezcals or other agave distillates that take up for just 25 years, 30 years to grow, right? So we're at that point now. Um, did you want me to jump now where Milagro lives within all of that? Yeah, real quickly, I mean, um, yes. this, I mean, for me, this is, I mean, I've been drinking uh, tequila for a long time and I continue to do so, but you just broke it down so easily to understand now what tequila is for all of us that are listening. But can we quickly just touch upon what we know in the market, the three different offerings of tequila from Blanco, Anejo, Reposado, before we jump into the, the history of Milagro? Absolutely. So I'll use Milagro to exemplify that, but I did want to say one thing. So basically, you know, we talked about the denomination of origin. That was established way before what well, now the body that now governs tequila, which is called the Tequila Regulatory Council. They in turn have helped set uh, the bumper rails, the guardrails, and the defining uh, regulations, right? That define the spirit. You know, oftentimes a lot of people don't don't um, you know it, it it we forget that the things that are on these bottles. The, the, the descriptors, if you will, it's not just telling you what's inside. These are legal designations that we as producers have to observe and respect. So when you say, when you hear, when you see that it says 100% agave, 
regardless of whether it's blue or not, you know it's blue because it has to be, right? If, right. It, if it doesn't say 100%, you have to assume that it's less than 100% because you, by law, they have to put 100% if it is 100%. Um, gotcha. Whether it's a silver reposado and añejo, right? I'll get into defining those, but I just want to provide some context. Those are not only just scriptures telling you what's in the bottle, but they're legal designations to say we, as Malagro, you know, whatever brand, whoever, you followed, you followed uh, the, the, the guidelines, if you will, right? The, the obligatory, you know, um, strict uh, rules of the game in order to bear that name. So what I'll say is this. I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. Based on the denomination of origin, based on the regulations set by the CRT, tequila is described in the following ways. First and foremost, it is a type of mezcal we discussed. We just we discussed that. It has to come from the blue agave plant specifically, which we talked about just how varied that endemic selection is in Mexico, right? Uh, and it'll, it'll make sense to you why Mexicans have brought it in and it's part of every bit of our culture. And you're going to see a lot more agave distillates coming through for that reason. Um, there are two types of tequila allowed by law. There's the 100% agave tequila and less than 100%. That's to say that we allow in the tequila industry, in the category of the spirit, we allow uh, a tequila that wants to, that wants to only make uh, a less than 100%, they can do so as long as there's 51% of the fermentable sugars that are contained in this bottle, oops, that are, that are contained in this bottle are coming from uh, the blue agave plant. The other 49% uh, just have to be fermentable sugars, right? And typically it's, you know, it's sugar cane, uh, corn, uh, that kind of thing, okay? So that is your less than 100% blue agave. Now, to bear the name 100% blue agave, it's just that simple. It just means that 100% of your fermentable sugars are coming from the blue agave plant. So what do you think I'm going to recommend? And, and I want to preface it by saying that I don't say this because I work for Malago. I say this because if you're an agave lover, if you love tequila, try to stick to 100% agave tequilas because you're getting 100% of all those nuances, those that terroir we spoke of is coming from the blue agave plant and you're supporting the industry in that way, right? So that's the beauty of that. Those are the two types. Within the two types, you mentioned three, I like to call them expressions or styles. But really, Mexico allows five, okay? The first is your silver or blanco, and what that means is that it's a tequila that after distillation, regardless of your type of distillation process, can come in contact with oak, but cannot exceed 60 days. So either it doesn't come in contact with oak at all, you leave it in for five days, you leave it for, 40, you know, for 45 days, it just can't exceed 60 days. A reposado or a reposed tequila means that it's come in contact with oak a minimum of two months typically up to or just under a year. An añejo, anything that bears the name añejo, it means aged. It means that, and it's premised off a year. So what it means is that to bear the name añejo, you get this beautiful, you know, caramel coloring, all derived from its contact with oak, the esterification process. That has to take place between a year and three years, right? In a barrel by law, by the way. So silver, repo, if you want a mellow bone, in a wooden trough, in a wooden vat, as long as it's coming in contact with the tequila, it's perfectly fine. When you get into the Añejo, the third style of tequila, it has to be in a 600 liter or less barrel, and it has to be a minimum of a year up to three years. Anything that touches wood longer than three years automatically, by law, has to be cataloged, right? And this is where the regulations step in. Because what this is telling you is that I don't care if this is if what you have at home is Milagro or any other brand. If it says Añejo on it, what does that tell you? At least a year, 
in a barrel, 600 liters or less, a maximum of three years. The next category is an extra añejo, right? You have your silvers, your reposados, your añejos, and extra añejos. An extra añejo simply means it's coming in contact with some type of a barrel, a minimum of three years, uh, not to exceed, uh, sorry, with no, with, no, um, with no cap at this point, right? So that's to say that your tequila could be five, seven years old. That's perfectly within the realm and the uh, prerogative of the producer, right? The fifth and final category is something we call joven. It's a little bit of a convoluted one to explain, but essentially what that means is that it's a tequila that is blended with other finished tequila. So say we took a Blanco, but then Foti's like, oh, but I want to soften it up a little bit. And, you know, me and my friends got together and we're going to make our own tequila. And, you know, the way I like it is I like a little bit of a dry finish at the end, a little bit of an oakiness coming through. Well, if we were to put the tequila straight into a barrel, it's just going to become a repo or añejo, right? But if we take a finished Blanco and a finished añejo that's seen barrel at least a minimum of a year, and then we blend it together, well, now you have the benefit of the both, right, in a finished product. And by law now, it doesn't qualify in either category, so it has to default to a joven. So those are the five types allowed by law, right? Your Blanco, Silver, Repo, Añejo, Extra Añejo, or Joven tequilas. Does that make sense? The rosé of tequila. That was a mouthful. But actually, you know what? Now I know better. Because well, I'll give it to you this way. I'll give it to you this way. Zero to 60 days, that's your Blanco, right? Minimum two months, your reposado. Minimum of year, your añejo. Minimum of three years, your extra añejo, right? And then you have your joven. That's just categorically speaking. It's, that's the beauty of tequila. It's like a wine, right? It's all this terroir, all these different expressions, and they're all compounded by how the distiller puts their hands on it, right? It's, there's, the, there's the cultivation of the plant. There's the producing of the plant that yields you the spirit, and then it's what you do to finish it, how you age it, right? Everyone's going to vary a little bit. When I get into Milagro now, you'll understand what we do within each each step. So if you want, I can jump into that, and that'll clarify yeah, things. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Right. Let's, let's so, talk about Milagro. Well, at Milagro, we're 100% a state-grown tequila in the Jalisco Highlands. Why is the Highlands even, even relevant or important? Because this plant thrives at high altitudes in semi-arid climates. And so we deliberately have chosen a mile-high area in Mexico to cultivate and produce and grow our own agaves to our own specifications with partner growers, meaning we don't buy on the open market, we know what we're getting, right? So we start there first and foremost. The Lagos philosophy, just to give you some insight, it's about taking the best of what we know is tried and true and has historically worked traditionally in terms of tequila production, those things we value that we know are gonna give us flavor, uh, and then innovations that we know are gonna help us get to a more refined, a more, you know, uh, uh, our expression of agave is a little bit more elevated and we want the consumer to not experience a bite or burn and forget those old school days of like, oh, it's really rustic, but it burns too much. I like the flavor, but it's hard to drink. We wanted to create, we wanted to appeal to the newer, newer uh, you know, new generation palates as they evolve. You know, I'm a big foodie. And one of the things, you know, other bartenders ask and, and folks in this industry constantly ask is like, you know, why? Well, what's the concept or what's the premise? Well, think about this. You know, a bottle, a 200-year-old bottle of wine, we can all, if we're hard diecore, you know, hardcore uh, uh, drinkers, we can very well find benefit and love what it is that we're having based on the premise that it's just, it's aged and maybe you like a little oakiness and it's great or what have you, but you might also be like, wait a minute, this is not for me, right? This is perhaps too, too, um, 
you know, too much, right? In terms of how it tastes, in terms of the viscosity that's developed and all these things, palates change, people's lives change. As things evolve, people change, right? There are tequilas that, you know, um, perhaps were a lot harsher then, but are more refined now, now. And that can be through processes that were standardized and perhaps even industrialized, or it could be intentional. In our case, it's very much intentional. Milagro is only 20 years old, uh, just over 20 years old. It was established in 1998. And the premise here is that we want something that is going to be, you know, palatable, refined, agave forward, but that's going to give you all the best expressions of the agave uh, in a way that's, you know, that will work in a cocktail and a way that will work neat. Um, and I'll explain how we do that next. Uh, so essentially, we're 21 years old. Again, that's why that gives you context as to why we, we, we are big believers and, you know, taking the best of what we know is, is tried and true and throwing in some innovations that are going to differentiate us from the rest of the pack. So you all know there's a lot of tequilas out there. Particularly when we launched 22 years ago, 21 plus, you have to remember Mexico is at the forefront, much like it is today in terms of art, in terms of culinary and all these great things. It's very influential around the world. But all the tequilas that were out there that, that, were, that were there were pretty much your standards, your, your, some of these bigger names that were known. Nothing quite looked like us or was produced like us. So we did something innovative. And what we did was essentially, again, first and foremost, pick where we're going to grow this agave, wait a few years, grow the agave, take it, cut off all the leaves, and then slow roast it. Because slow roasting is something we know is tried and true and works. And it does the best to extract as much of the flavor, develop as much of the flavor that we want. So we don't flash cook it. We don't speed cook it. We slow roast it for about 48 hours. 36 hours with the oven on at full blast, steam oven, above ground. We then, we then, we then um, turn off that oven. It continues to radiate heat. It continues to cook. About 12 hours later, 48 hours later, we open the doors. The temperature drops. We let it acclimate to the outside temperature. And at that point, we extract the agaves and then we press them. We press them five times over. If you've never had the pleasure of, of stepping into a this, uh, tequila distillery, imagine Christmas time. Imagine pumpkin spice. Imagine cooked uh, sweet potato. That's what it smells like, right? That is what we're caramelizing. That is what we're. That's what that's what the plant smells like when we're when we're when we're creating those starches, right? From you know from from starches over to sugars, where we're converting them. So after that happens and it's pressed five times over, it's the runoff, that beautiful sweet juice that we take, and we put that into our fermentation tanks. That's for 72 hours longer than most distilleries. Again, this is where congeners and all those beautiful things we as humans perceive as flavor come from, right? Mm -hmm. Just like brewing beer, just like you start to get these beautiful nuances. You feed the yeast and they start to expel uh, gases, but all of this is, is, is what develops flavors, right? And we want to we then take those and distill those, refine them, develop a higher grade alcohol, but you have to know what you're doing. That's where our master distiller comes in. Uh, unlike most most tequila companies these days who have gone by way of having master distillers and have focused on, on more production managers and that kind of things, we have our master distiller named Pedro Juarez, and he oversees this entire process, and he ensures that we're done in a very specific way and that we're consistently made the right way, right, in a way that he specified and helped develop. So we distill using two types of, of stills, which is, which is very common in this industry. One is a first distillation is run through a small pot still, copper lined, stainless on the outside. We, we do our first pass through there. And our second distillation, because uh, by the way, you have to distill two times minimum to be called tequila, right? By law, that's another regulation. The second distillation is done through a column still to polish and refine the tequila and bring it up to alcohol spec. So don't think of a whiskey or, or our vodka still, which can be, you know, three, four stories high. We're talking about three to four meters high. 
32 plate system. Some of them was a copper plate. So we've, we've even modified that. So that's part of our innovation. And again, that's just to refine Milagro's taste profile. And then lastly, how you age, how you dress your tequila, how you interact with oak is equally as defining. And at Milagro, we have a six expression portfolio, one part made of our, of our core range. And this is the long elongated bottles. And then we have something called our select range. And that is um, uh, another silver rep on Añejo made slightly different. So we at Milagro use American white oak whiskey casks, if you will, for uh, all of our core range here. And then uh, for the select line, we do a combination of both American whiskey and brand new or virgin French oak, and we blend them together just to give you an idea, right? So it's blending. It's not finishing. It's taking the two down, disproportionately leaning down for disproportionate amount of times, bringing them back out, and then blending them together. So every select barrel reserve has a little bit of French, a little bit of American oak in it, right? Again, innovations, different things that we do in the market to provide a different taste profile and different experience for the consumer. Uh, since then, we've covered a lot of awards, highly recognized, and, um, and I mean, like we're plugging away little by little, contributing to the tequila landscape. So it's, uh, it's been a fun time. Well, that's fascinating, wow. fascinating. Um, now I think, um, Jaime, we could probably get into our cocktail demonstration. Absolutely. I was just getting some ice. So having said all of that, I have two ways I approach cocktails, right? The first is, as you're doing for these, like you're doing it simply ice. You're, you're taking in all the expression of the agave. I love to, for me, it's imperative that we make a balanced cocktail. So whether it's a highball, three simple ingredient cocktail, whether it's a margarita, everything should be in balance. So the agave always does, it expresses its way, itself in the way it should. Um, I want to preface for everybody out there that when you, you know, I wanted to do something very simple. That was very deliberate on my part. So we're doing two, three ingredient cocktails, uh, both equally good, just been slightly different. Uh, the riffs on classics, Mexican classics. The first one is called Our Freshest Margarita, which is a riff on a modern classic recognized by bartenders all over the world. It's a margarita. It doesn't contain Cointreau. It's not your typical margarita with, you know, an orange liqueur or a citrus liqueur along with tequila. It's actually agave nectar in place of it. It was created at Tommy's uh, uh, Bar and Restaurant over in San Francisco, Tommy's Cantina back in the day. And so the idea here is... Uh, is that it's it's a riff on a modern day classic so but it's super simple to make three ingredient reliance and what's important here is that you make it right right because the less ingredients the more they each factor in so uh what do we do well we take our shaker right set it there i'm going to say everything in proportions i'm going to say that you should have a jigger on hand and if you don't it's all good you can use a shot glass right but the idea here is that as long as you keep the proportions equal to one another then you can scale this cocktail and make as many as you wish but we're going to use, uh, um, we're going to, we're going to make one, right? We're going to use proportions based on one cocktail or I'm going to make a cocktail. And then of course you can scale in happy to take on any question. So three ingredients, as I mentioned before, well, one of the most important is, um, the lime juice, right? Cause the agave, the, the agave here is going to come through obviously the tequila and uh, lime juice is hyper, hyper, hyper important. So I'm going to go with two parts, Milagro silver. So you can pour that into my measuring device here. And that's going to be the base of a margarita, right? I am going to do one ounce fresh pressed lime juice. And I want to show you just how easy it is to fresh, to press. The beautiful thing about Mother Nature is that she's been very generous to us. An average good size Persian lime gives you anywhere between three quarters of an ounce to an ounce and a quarter of lime. 
So that gives you an idea of how many limes you would, this is round out to one, and that many limes is what you would need to make 10 margaritas, right? 10 limes will get you about 10 ounces, maybe get 12 to 13 for good measure just to ensure that. So we have two parts, Milagro Silver in there, probably refreshing citric, it's gonna really make for a great base of the margarita. One part fresh pressed lime juice, and then I broke my agave nectar, so let me bring my agave nectar out here. I uh, was, uh, when, this, when the bottle fell over, the, uh, the container that had the agave nectar broke, but we're gonna go with three quarters of an ounce of agave, right? And again, that goes right into our shaker. Now, I think the next best question is, to salt or glass or not salt to glass? What do you guys think? I always uh, say I'm salt. A yeah, I love salted too. I agree. You know what? I'm going to say to the audience out there that you can use whatever method you want. Salt is optional. We're going to keep it three ingredients here. Salt is, in fact, optional. But I will say this. There's a reason for salt. You know, kind of like the way uh, the three of us were having this conversation a few minutes ago, right? Where we started is that there's an actual reason for some of this. Salinity in cocktails brightens up your cocktails and actually uh, prepares the palate and, and it makes it a little brighter and it makes it really, really pop in the mouth. So, I won't say, I'll show you a trick for the next cocktail. In this case, you can salt it, not salt it. It is absolutely up to you. Uh, but I would just consider that, right? As long as it's not hurting your health by any means, I, I don't want to suggest you do something that, you know, isn't, isn't health conscious. But uh, what you want to do is you want to um, just have a little bit of salt in it just to open it up. So I'm going to put it on the rim. That's, that's the bottom line here. And then I'm going to shake for about 8 to 10 seconds. The idea here is we want to get the, uh, the shaker nice and frosty. I don't know who out there is a big cocktail person. If you want to geek out, I'm happy to geek out with you. But there is rhyme and reason to all of this. There really, really truly is. What happens is you not only want to bring the ice, the cocktail down to a refreshingly, you know, cold level, but, well, before I answer this, tell me, does anybody know what the other benefit is to um, – to, uh, to, to shaking, you know, that cocktail and, 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 and getting it nice and frosty for, for eight to 10 seconds. What, what's another benefit? I'm gonna grab my, uh... Catherine? Well, I don't know if it's a benefit, but I know that if you shake it with the ice and you keep those rocks in it, it's gonna uh, like water down and dilute the cocktail a little bit. It, it, but it is. a benefit. It's in fact, it's in fact a benefit. You actually need that. That's part of the ingredient of the cocktail, right? We oftentimes don't talk about it, but eight to 10 second shake is going to dilute our cocktail down by about 30%. And you want that. That water is going to round out your cocktail. It's going to soften it up just a little bit more. And it's going to give us, it's going to give us that dilution to help us balance it out. And the more ice you use, the nicer the shake, the more your cocktail will stay together. Once it's done, right, it won't separate nearly as fast. So there you have it. That's our freshest margarita. Super simple. Two parts Milagro Silver, one part fresh lime juice, three-quarter part agave nectar. Nice, bright, refreshing, balanced. Uh, don't be afraid of ice. It's your friend as long as you do it right. There's huge benefits to that. So that there is our three-ingredient freshest margarita. Super simple to make. The only uh, ask I would have is that you please, please, please press fresh. Uh, the other things I tell the other uh, tidbits I tell folks is if they're not, if you're not using, um, if you're not, you don't want to press your own lime juice at home, stores nowadays press it for you, right? You can literally go to stores where they sell fresh juice and say, hey, can I get 12, 13 ounces, half a gallon of lime juice? And you'd be surprised. Almost, most gourmet stores sell it now. 
All right, the next one is a cocktail premised on um, also three ingredients, but uh, the you know what's what's highly popular right now. You know, yes, everybody's drinking tequila sodas and what have you, but formally it's the it's the highball cocktail, right? And if you ever had a whiskey highball, you know the benefits. It's by definition, all it is is just your base spirit, something fizzy, right, on the rocks. That's it in a long drink. Uh, in a long glass, and that's this is no different. This is a Paloma. It's perhaps Mexico's uh, most popular cocktail after the Margarita. It's essentially grapefruit soda or grapefruit juice with, with, with soda water and your favorite Repo or silver with a splash of lime. I decided to do a little riff on it. I, it's called the Paloma Rosada because it is, in fact, a pink Paloma. I personally love pink grapefruit specifically. I know it sounds geeky, but if you... Uh, if you if you if you're into fruit, if you're into cooking, you know that every one of these varietals tastes different, right? They all bring something different to the table. So I love my traditional palomas, but I wanted to do something a little bit more floral, a little bit more bright. So I went ahead with a pink, uh, a pink grapefruit. So Catherine, I believe you're gonna make this one with me. Show yes. people just how simple it is. So I have the ice. In this case, you can do with before the ice or after the ice. As long as you follow the proportions, you can put the ice in later. But just for for show and tell here, I went and iced it all the way to the top. Again, don't be afraid of ice. The, the more ice you have, the quicker it'll come down to temperature and the quicker it'll actually stop diluting. So that's why you're, it's okay to over ice rather than under ice. You ever under ice a cocktail, Catherine, and, uh, or a drink, and by the time it chills down, your ice is completely melted? Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's the idea really is the more ice you do, the quicker it'll chill down and the quicker it'll stop melting. So that's why you right. want to over ice, right? So ice all the way to the top. We're going to go with a part, you know, and a half of Milagro Reposado in this case. I didn't want to do, um, I didn't want to do silver. I want to do something that's going to give us a little bit of that warm spice, right, to complement that pink grapefruit. So we're going to go with one and a half parts of Milagro Reposado. This tequila, oh, you know, I just realized, I didn't tell you, right, I was going to work this in. So we do no aging on Milagro silver. We do... We, this, this Milagro Reposado comes in contact with American white oak whiskey cast for about four to six months. So that's where it gets its beautiful color and a beautiful spiced caramel note. And our Añejo spends about 14 to 16 months, okay, in contact with American. So that's what gets all its, its darker tone and a lot more, you know, cooked nuances and things like that. So we have our tequila in there. I'm going to say half. Instead of our last cocktail, we just want a little bit of that lime to brighten it up. We want a little bit of that city. So I'm going to go with half a part instead of a full part. Jaime, can I interject real quick? Absolutely. Um, I want to make sure. I think my sister's logged in. This is her favorite drink, so I want to make sure she's paying attention right now. I just want to make sure because <laughs> every time we go out, this is what she orders. Ah, uh, Palomas. That's my – we're talking – she's singing to my heart. It's one of my favorites as well. So – I'm going to top off with the grapefruit here. Ice it down a little bit more. And then, you know, we talked about salt earlier, but Palomas in particular, I think, really benefit from that salt. I just think they brighten up. So rather than rim the glass, I'm going to ask you to take a pinch of salt and just drop it on the top, just so we get that salinity sort of blended in there, right? I and that's what I'll do there. What's that? I should have brought salt outside with me. You know what? My bad. I should have stressed that. Yeah, I just, for me, Palomas really, really bright up and really come to life when you do that. Now, typically, I garnish this 
very food just to tell the world and to really entice my palate when I look at it to say, listen, this is there's a great there's grapefruit in here. But today, I have plenty of limes to go around, so I'm just gonna give another lime here. You know, you should always garnish your cocktail because you know the thing about cocktails is not only should they taste great, great that's a given, but you should or, or, or you know that should be a something you strive for, but it should it should also speak to like what's in the cocktail, right? Cocktail should entice the nose, the eyes, really all parts. So there you have it. You see that beautiful pink hue? It's got a nice, beautiful floral hint on the nose. You're using what grapefruit are you using, Catherine? So I have Fever Tree Sparkling Pink Grapefruit. Um, Another great now, one. But yeah, and I actually, I should have brought more ice out as well. This is a bit taller than a normal Collins glass, so it's it looks like there's not as much in it. But this looks like a bit more of like a darker pink. Beautiful. I love it. It's so good, this kind. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. And that's just going to do really well with the reposal. You can get a nice little cheers. Salud. Cheers. Salud. A nice little dry finish. I love it. Mm. It's refreshing. It's bright. It's simple. What I do want to tell the audience out there, if you want a fresh riff on it, get some fresh pressed pink grapefruit. And if you don't have fresh pressed pink grapefruit, you can even cheat a little bit with, um, with let's say, pasteurized or shelf-stabilized pink grapefruit, but then bring in fresh lime to bring in that acidity and that brightness, right, um, that it'll lack if it's been pasteurized. Uh, the, uh, the thing a few people know is why we introduce lime into this, even, even if we use pink grapefruit and it's fresh, is that there's different acidity levels uh, to, different, to different citrus, right? So a lot of the times when you look at your bartender, you see your bartender – uh, give backbone to whatever citrus they're using to flavor the cocktail with, and you see, well, you're using grapefruit, but then you're also using lime. It's because grapefruit doesn't have as much acidity, right? And we're talking about the lower the pH, the higher the acidity, that kind of thing. And and so, <clears throat> and so there's rhyme and reason to all of this, really. And that's why I would encourage that. But this is just a really simple, great way, especially, as Catherine mentioned, with all the great sodas, Hugh Drinks also makes a beautiful pink grapefruit. A lot of people make their palomas just with that, but I love the inclusion of lime and a little bit of salt. It's just going to give it more backbone, it's going to more brightness. You want that acidity coming through, and it's just going to make for that refreshing sort of summery vibe that you get the minute you drink a paloma, right? That's that's that oh, thing so that, refreshing. It, that it evokes in you. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. Three ingredient cocktails. What we like to call pantry cocktails. Super simple to make. Well, guys, I think. Uh... Paloma's my drink. I mean, I've been drinking different cocktails until recently. I've seen Paloma's on so many different cocktail lists. I never really ordered it, but now I don't think I'm going to uh, shy away from it moving forward. But uh, these are, I, like I opinion, said before, Forty, my, my sister, every time we go out, that's her drink of choice. I never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it, but because of my sister, I know well, it very well. And now thank you, Jaime for uh, explaining, you know, in detail for me and for her. Now, now she well, she's probably going to be making it every night at home. So I don't know if I should thank you or or curse you for that. <laughs> well, the Paloma is probably the it. most popular drink after the margarita in Mexico. And actually, the margarita is probably more popular here than 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 it is uh, in Mexico, given the locals drink a lot of Paloma. So your sister is onto something. <laughs> right, I didn't realize right. how well, simple can... it could be to make, though, too. Well, you know what? In Mexico, it was, it was it started out as a highball, and actually, we made it more fancy than it originated. It originated with lime, rock salt, Mexican rock salt, right? Which is very the salinity is really high, and just and just your tequila and um, and your grapefruit soda. That's really how it started, and it, you know, and the grapefruit soda really varied depending on where you were in the country. 
Uh, and then we started to make fresh versions of it, et cetera. And now, uh, I mean, Fluffy and, you know, you guys can attest to like, it, when you go out, uh, you'll see a million iterations of Palomas, right? But oh, grapefruit yeah. has to Definitely. Yeah, grapefruit has to be a constant. Grapefruit, a little bit of lime, obviously tequila, those have to be constant. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. That's awesome. That's, that's very, very informative. Uh, it really changes our perception about tequila. I mean, if I can speak personally, as a whiskey scotch drinker for many years, in the last handful of years, I started to convert to sipping tequila. And because I've appreciated tequila in its many different forms, I would hate to get cocktails with tequila because in my mind, I wanted to enjoy the purity of tequila in the different levels. But, but what you just broke down, these two recipes, I can definitely say I would not be, you know, concerned in having a cocktail with tequila mixed in it. Um, but having said that, Ari, I, I think uh, we, we are at that time where we can start uh, bringing in some questions from our, from our audience. Absolutely. All right. So what we have... While we sip tequila. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to say very quickly, uh, before I was 21, I don't condone this and don't judge me, but before I was 21, whenever we'd go out and try to sneak drinks out at the clubs and bars, it would always be a tequila drink because it always made me feel like the best and the, I had the best time. And again, under 21, I do not condone this, but it was my go-to drink. Anything with tequila. So good. So we have... Um, what does special or should I say special mean special. on a bottle? Yeah. I think, I, I think you touched on it. Yeah. I think you, you killed, you, uh, you hit it on the head with, with saying it especial in Spanish because there's only one brand that brings that to mind and we could we're probably all think we're all thinking about it. So in that regard, I hate to try to be as objective as possible. That, that is specific to marketing. That doesn't mean anything in terms of, rules and regulations, the way that Blanco, the way that 100, the way that uh, some of these other things like made in Mexico has to be on every bottle of tequila. That is, that is by law, right? You, you, you know, it says that we've, uh, you know, we've, uh, we, we've listened to the rules and regulations, we've met all the standards, and it's a way to promote, you know, the denomination of origin. But in terms of especial, that's speaking to their, 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 their promotion of what they feel is special about that product. Not necessarily meaning anything specific. Okay, good, good, good. All right, thank you. Um, does it matter what type of wood for aging? Absolutely. The type of wood does add different nuances to it, right? Depending on the grain, depending on the char, if it is charred, um, depending on where the wood sits. You know, the tequila is not like racked, you know, whiskey in most cases where it's being, you know, rotated, et cetera. That really happens in tequila, right? Whether you have misters in place, uh, the tequila region, depending on where you are, varies in temperatures, extreme temperature swings from like 50 degrees, you know, which shocks the plant, which is also good for the plant. You can imagine though, with the barrel sitting there in a, in a non, you know, temperature controlled environment, how that stresses the barrel line, the contraction and everything. So all those things come into play. So yes, French oak, American oak, whether used, whether new, all those things are going to give you different nuances, nuttiness, uh, spice level. All those things do, in fact, factor into flavor. I may have a quick question. You just mentioned used. Can you use a used barrel that has some other spirit in it before? Absolutely. You can use any type of barrel you want, as long as it's some type of oak barrel is what Mexico stipulates. Yeah. 
And again, it has to be less than 600 uh, uh, liters, especially when we get cool. to the Añejo and you don't have to use a barrel for sober and you don't have to use a barrel for, for Reposado if you don't want to. Very good. Okay. Um, does tequila become smoother with age? That's an interesting one for me to answer, right? And I've answered that a million different ways, depending on any given day and what I'm feeling and how, how you know, I just how deep I want to get into the subject. Um, because I think with, I think with most spirits, the, the implication is that, yes, uh, the longer age, the smoother it gets. But I don't necessarily know that's true, especially for the, you, you mentioned being a, 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 a scotch or a whiskey drinker, right? Okay, scotch drinker. I would say, tell me if I'm right, I would say that different nuances develop, different flavor profiles, but I don't know that smooth is always something that's directly coordinated with the age. I, I think agree. You have, right? I think you can have a smooth 12-year-old, you can have a smooth, but what's important is what characteristic, what flavors, what finishes from the wood are being imparted and what develops. Tequila is similar in that, sure, comparably to a fiery Blanco with a lot of spirit and a lot of spunk and, you know, your got it coming through in that spice level, it, it will temper it down a little bit, sure. Uh, but I think what happens is as, as your spirit becomes more rounded, think of a spirit as a, a cube of ice, right? Or literally that you can, you know, you've seen all these, uh, you know, famous bartenders now make different shaped ice cubes, just taking, right, just taking a knife to it, a paring knife, and just whittling it down essentially, the same way you can reconstruct an ice cube is the same way you should look at flavor and how it lands on the palate. It could be really round and smooth. It could be really sharp with a lot of edges. And so the more certification, the more time in barrel, the more we start to smooth out those things, the more we start to impart other things, which keeps the palate busy and the brain thinking about all the beautiful oak you're picking up and the vanilla and the caramel and butterscotch. And so perceivably what I find is that when you're in a room and you say to people and they're all drinking the same añejo, you, if you have ask a, a, a show of hands, which one finds this a lot smoother than the last one? Sometimes you'll find that, you know, compared to the repo, a lot smoother. Uh, other people are like, no, in terms of alcohol, because people discern, discern things differently, right? Other people will say, you know what, actually, in terms of alcohol content, perceivably how I feel it hits me, because that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about alcohol and how it lands on the palate when we say smoother. We're asking ourselves, can you still taste the alcohol? And the truth is, you can still taste the alcohol. You tasted the tequila, but it's a lot smoother. It's a lot rounded. So, in layman's terms, sure, it gets more rounded, it gets smoother. But what I think happens is it gets more characteristics, it gets more flavor, it gets more, it gets more complex, right? And therefore, you get you don't even think about alcohol burn. You think about just everything going on, right? So I think it's a combination of the two, quite honestly. And I don't think I think you'll 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 find some añejos that are uber aged that could be a little fiery, and that has to do with how they're made and how they're aged. Oh, very good answer. So, Thank you. A lot, a lot of chemistry there. That's what it boils down to, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I who invented think, the margarita? I see that one. I was going to say, I think you mentioned that, but then... No, you did, I did it. Oh, you didn't mention it. Okay. I did it. And this so, is an interesting one because, yeah, so I would love to say I covet, I know the answer to that, right? But the truth is we in the industry, we professionals, me who... If you saw my books right now and, you know, agave, tequila, blah, blah, personal experiences, the education that I've done in Mexico, we don't know exactly who invented the margarita. You might be looking for, for Margarita Sames, uh, who is oftentimes, uh, she was a socialite that is oftentimes credited for having the margarita invented after her. Uh, 
And there's also another person named Daisy. And if you know uh, Spanish, you know Margarita technically means Daisy. But there's also a very famous cocktail that also is named Daisy. So we don't know if the Margarita is just a Daisy that came about, you know, by someone going, ah, but if you use Margarita, you know, if you use tequila, right? Instead, you know, now you have something else. And now we can just change the name from Daisy to Margarita. But, or in fact, if it was in fact, you know, sort of, um, uh, sort of, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it was, it was something that was created for this lady sayings, uh, as a, as an homage, if you will, we don't know, but there's a lot of great stories out there. I know we're running out of time, so I won't get into them, but there's quite <laughs> a bit of them. No one knows exactly when we know the general area. We think it's along the border. It could have very well been on this side. It could have very well been in Mexico. And even that isn't a hundred percent, uh, uh, us to to know just yet we haven't quite cracked that nut well look let, let's let's just put uh let's put a, a legend out there my name is ari let's just say uh margarita ari is in margarita <laughs> so it's named after me let's just say that listen i've been i've been trying for years i listen i create cocktails in hopes that somebody will name one after <laughs> me but it hasn't quite caught on uh, I'm humbled to say that there are some cocktails around around the country that are that are named after me on menus, but but nothing that's quite caught on. So that someone says, "Hey, you know, there's this uh, there's this margarita that Jaime Tommy, and hey, you know, we're now all drinking the the Jaime margarita. Uh, Tommy's has done that for sure, right? The Tommy's margarita, which which are fresh margaritas, is 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 uh, modeled after. Um, it's just that, you know, but. Um, so well, some people now, are you know, with it. Now Fotty and I have a new goal in life. It's to name something after you, Jaime, because that's, that's <laughs> it. we got to do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will encourage those folks out there um, because as we're talking about this, you know, we, we've made the fresh margarita, but that's just one iteration of it. I've done a million using different fr- uh, fruits and vegetables and things you can fold in to create different flavor profiles using the same template, the same proportions, just getting fresh berries and mint, basil and you know, um, uh, what is it? Uh, you name it, right? Basil and pineapple, right? Adding a layer of bitters, elongating it with flavored sodas. There's many, millions of things you can do here. So if people want to go to our Instagram at Milagro Tequila. Follow me at J the Tequila Guy, J T H E Tequila Guy, um, or you know at Milagro or sorry www.milagrotequila.com. Tons and tons of recipes. Really, this is just the the very tip of the uh, of the agave leaf, if you will. There's actually, there's actually one comment here um, that said they are totally converted because they tried it and they are totally converted to Milagro. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. Lena, very much. I appreciate it. Um, I will ask uh, Vicky, who's also on. I see you, Vicky. Uh, thank you very much for putting my information up, Vicky. Uh, Vicky will convey. Vicky, let's convey that over to my boss and all the powers that be that we're converting people because it's, it's I'm earning my keep. Um, and, and quite honestly, all jokes aside, um, you know what? I'm glad. The truth is I love people that just love the spirit. As you can tell, I'm very impassioned by it. I love everything about it. For me, it's not just about the, the bottle uh, and what's in it, but the people in the hands that make it, right? Those folks behind it. Uh, because ultimately this is very representative of the culture from which it stems. And that's something I'm very proud of. So I'm glad that you are appreciating that. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Jaime, thank you so much. Uh, You are one of those like guests that I love because 
I speak less, and I know Fatih and Catherine love that. I speak less because you are so informative, but thank you so much. You, you had such great information. You were, you were really awesome. Um, I knew you were going to be good just from the video that you guys sent us a while ago because we got such good feedback, and you, 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 you proved me right. Thank Great. So I don't much. know what video that was, but I'm glad it worked for you. You, 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 you like display, you, you demoed a cocktail. I can't remember uh, off the top of my head, but uh, like, once we posted it, everybody was like writing in. Beautiful. Well, guys, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm, I enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed myself. Nothing like capping out my night. Uh, I'll, I'll enjoy my cocktails while I clean my kitchen. <laughs> thank you for having me. And we'll yeah, definitely no, have you, you back so on. This is, not the, I love this, it. this is not the last time. Excellent. I'd love it. Thank you. I hopefully we'll meet in person, right? Boston's one of my favorite places. Absolutely. 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 Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for joining us. Enjoy your uh, Milagro tequila and the cocktails. And we'll be uh, seeing you very soon. We're going to share all of Jay, uh, Jaime's uh, info. We're going to share all of Milagro's info. And we'll also have a link on where you could purchase Milagro. Thank you everybody for listening in. And Jaime, once again, Awesome, awesome job. You know your stuff. You're wrong. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Salud and stay safe. Good to all you guys. Cheers. Great to meet you. Pati, Catherine, thank you. Jaime, thank you again. Everybody, thanks for listening, watching. We'll see you next time.